All right, ladies. Good morning. I am so pumped about this. I mean, we've just had so much fun thinking about what God was going to do here, and it's, it's going to be something awesome. So I'm, I'm really excited that all of you are here. Um, here's something that I want us to do for this particular, for B&B. I want to encourage all of you, if you remember, when you come to one of these, to bring your own coffee mug. Because really, we wanted this to, now this is mine. My son made it for me because his mom has a big mouth and she likes to shove cookies in it. And so this actually is meant to hold milk and you put cookies in it. So, and I use it. So I thought, I'm going to bring that mug today. And here's me. Right? She even has red hair and her brain is pink and sparkly on the inside, which mine is, I'm sure. So um, bring your own mug. I want this to feel like a life group. And I'll, I'll put reminders, and I'll tell you guys a little bit more about that later. But bring your own mug and, and use it. And I want this to feel, I don't care how big it gets, I want us to make it feel small and feel um, more homey. This is a, a life group and not a class for a reason. I purposefully did not make it a class because I want this to be something where women come together, you engage with each other, you forge new friendships, you start to recognize faces at church or hear that the purpose of a life group is to make community. And that's something I want this to be. I want this to make community. And I'm going to have a few different ways where we can build community together. I also didn't want it to be a thing where you go to your class, then you get all your homework, then you do your homework all week, and then you come back and you go to your class and you do your homework, and it's all just kind of coming in and filling up your head and you're learning and you're doing homework. I want this to be something where I'm going to be challenging all of us and encouraging us to reach out of this Saturday into the months around it and also reach out to people around us and not just our own little group in here. The focus of this group is to challenge, encourage, equip, and raise up apprentices of Jesus. That's, I don't want to just get up here and teach all you ladies. I want to be under you and encouraging you and lifting you up and challenging you to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus had a lot of people traveling with him, but not everyone was following him. And that's what this is, to say, come on, ladies, let's follow Jesus. All right? And we're going to do it together. I'm going to take one more sip. So at one time or another, most of you have probably heard the story about what Jesus once said to the church, wants to be said to the church in Laodicea. Um, What you may not know is this text is often misinterpreted and preached completely off of what was intended. Um, That's the text about, I'd rather you be hot or cold, but you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out, right? That's this text. And I remember hearing it taught that if you aren't an on-fire Christian, on fire, it's better that you be cold, a cold Christian. Just don't be a lukewarm Christian, or Jesus is going to spit you out of his mouth. And that used to scare me in high school. I'd be like, so can I lose my salvation? Like, because I don't know, am I hot? Am I lukewarm right now? I'm not really sure. I go to Young Life, you know, like, what, what exactly do I need to do? Is he going to spit me out? Is it better to not be saved at all? To be a cold Christian? Like, how does that even make sense? That's what it made me think about in high school. So the text is actually saying something different, and that's what I'm going to talk about this morning. Revelation chapter 3, 
starting in verse 14, I'm going to read this message to Laodicea. Chapter 3, starting in verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and I have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich. And white garments so that you may clothe yourself that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the context here. Traditionally, the writer of Revelation has been thought to be the Apostle John, the author of the Gospel of John. Um, John was banished by the Romans to Patmos. That's, that was something that has been that's in early tradition. Um, However, there's differences in language and theology in the book of Revelation from John that actually have caused many scholars to question, was it actually John the Apostle? So some have said, it's actually someone that we're going to call John the Elder. And then other scholars say, it's actually someone that we're going to call John of Patmos. So there isn't really an understanding who this John is. And by the way, if I was preaching from the big the daddy pulpit, I would not say that because some people are like, what, it's not John? Like they can't handle knowing that it might not be the Apostle John. But I know you ladies are Bible nerds like me. That's why you're here on a Saturday morning. So I'm going to tell you that. But regardless who this John was, we're told in chapter 1, verse 11, that he is told by the Spirit of the Lord to write down everything he sees and send these letters to seven churches. Now, there were more than seven churches in that region, um, but the number seven in Scripture represents totality uh, or completeness. Revelation is a pastoral letter for sure, but it's also a very prophetic letter, and it's apocalyptic letter. And apocalyptic literature uses a lot of symbols and imagery and conveys messages using those symbols. Although those churches really existed, these seven represent the universal church of all times and all places. So this is really written to every church. It can be applied to every church. So this morning I'm going to focus on this church in Laodicea, which was located in the, in the Lycus Valley at the, at the cross-section of two very important trade routes. Um, in Roman times, Laodicea Laodicea actually became the wealthiest city in Phrygia, where it was located. Um, In fact, it was so wealthy that when there was a massive earthquake in 60 AD, they were able to rebuild the city without help from Rome, all on their own. 
because they had so many resources. Um, several things brought Laodicea fame and fortune. It was known for breeding a really beautiful black silky wool. It had its own medical school that was very well known and had created an eye salve and an ear salve. It had ointments that were healing and it also had a flourishing banking industry. This is what the Spirit of the Lord said to say. To the angel, which in this context, he's actually saying to the pastor of this church, to the church of Laodicea, write, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. <clears throat> to understand this text, we have to have a little bit of a geography lesson. Laodicea's location was determined by the road system. Okay, and any, do we have any realtors in here? It's like location, 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 right? So they planted well with the trade route system. That's one of the reasons why they were so wealthy. However, where they were lacked a sufficient and permanent supply of fresh water. In fact, no other area besides Laodicea was so dependent on getting water from somewhere else. It did not have any of its fresh water. Water was piped to Laodicea through an aqueduct from hot springs four miles south of the city in Denizli, down here. So it would be piped to Laodicea. Even they, some think it even came from farther. It was hot when it left the springs, but it wasn't hot when it arrived in Laodicea. Archaeologists found that the water was so concentrated with minerals that the Roman engineers would design these vents capped by these removable stones in the aqueduct system. Because there were so many minerals, they would have to vent it out. It was, it was, there were so many. And I think I have a picture. So this is one of the pipes. So it gets encrusted with minerals. So the water coming through, even though they'd vented out, when it got to Laodicea, it still had a bunch of minerals in the water. Those minerals brought on nausea. That would make you, what? Vomit, right? In fact, the site of Laodicea was eventually abandoned because you can't, there's no refreshing. There's no fresh water. Six miles north of Laodicea was the city of Hierapolis, famous for its hot springs, very well known. They rose within the city and they'd flow over this plateau and then go down this big cliff area. The water was full of minerals, causing it to be very healing for the body. And that area, Hierapolis, is still there to this day. It's actually in Turkey. It's called Pamukkale. It's literally, Pamukkale is literally cotton castle because of the travertine, travertine that would flow over and it turns white when it hardens. One travel site says this about Pamukkale. And all that water's hot. It's just awesome. It says, it is popularly believed that the waters of Pamukkale are beneficial for heart, circulatory, nerve, kidney, rheumatic, and paralytic disorders, and that they condition the skin. Doesn't that sound lovely? <laughs> like, go sit in that hot water? This is where I kind of wish I was Oprah, and I'd be like, everybody look under your seat, we're all going to Pamukkale, you know? And the camera zooms around for you and you and you, you know? But we're not going to Pamukkale, but... It would be awesome if we were all sitting in one of those hot springs. So anyway, Hierapolis had that going for it. It was just, had so, it offered healing. Then Colossae, 
was about 10 miles away and it had an abundant water supply of cold and pure water. So Laodicea, tucked right in between these cities, had neither hot medicinal waters for healing nor cold pure waters to bring refreshment. Laodicea just had this, you know, kind of janky aqueduct system made out of these pipes all encrusted with minerals that provided tepid, barely drinkable water. It could maybe help someone survive, but it didn't really affect anyone beyond that. It wasn't healing, and it wasn't refreshing. So this text is not about being on fire for Jesus. That terminology didn't even exist when the book of Revelation was written. He's saying that their conduct was doing nothing to affect others. They were complacent, they were rich, they were satisfied. They only thought of themselves. They didn't provide refreshment for the spiritually weary or healing for the spiritually sick. And this is the church in Laodicea. They weren't, they weren't, help, they weren't giving anything to those around them spiritually. They were ineffective and useless to the body, like gross, tepid, warm water. And that's what's so, what's so upsetting to Jesus. That's, that's what it was. This is why he says, I'm going to vomit them out of his mouth. He's gonna, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. How they're living is distasteful to him. It makes him feel nauseated. They have this abundance, but spiritually contribute nothing. I used to pray when I was in seminary and super poor, in my old Honda Accord, <laughs> janky car. I'd be like, Lord, never let me be rich. Because there's a verse that says... Um, I don't know, never let me be poor enough, I think it's in Proverbs, where I steal bread, and never let me be rich enough that I forget who you are. And I was so afraid of that happening um, because I didn't want to ever become that self-sufficient and that, you know, I just didn't want that because money changes you. You get a lot of money, you start to forget how you need God and you start to feel entitled and start to think about what you need for you and not how can I serve other people. I have friends that when I was in seminary became multi-multi-millionaires. And they changed a lot to where we're not even really friends anymore. They became philanthropists and they gave a lot of money away, but they changed in heart and it was just a very difficult thing to watch. And so I've always prayed that because it does change you. It doesn't have to if you're always submitted before the Lord and you're generous in heart and you're generous with your funds and you're serving and offering spiritual refreshment to people but it can, and that's what was happening in this church. He says in verse 17, you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. You do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may actually become rich and white garments that you can actually clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Verse 17 kind of makes me think of America. I think Kardashians, and then I think really America. Really some of us in here, because we can, we can live in California, um, our financial comfort can sometimes cause us to think we're doing great. We're obviously blessed by the Lord, we're doing awesome, even if like, there's maybe some sin in our heart or we're living sort of half-hearted for the Lord and we aren't really impacting anyone, our financial stability can make us feel like, oh, we're doing okay. Part of the reason this church had become so complacent and useless to the Lord was that they were living in this 
wealth, and blessing. They were so satisfied in their current state that they were completely unaware that in reality, they were being viewed by Jesus as being depraved, distressed, miserable. The word in the Greek here is to be pitied or pathetic. I wouldn't want to hear that from the Lord. Poor and blind, and this word poor is of little value or relatively worthless. So they looked all good on the outside, but he's like, I see you as really pathetic and worthless. You're not doing anything. Um, I just lost 20 pounds on Weight Watchers. Anybody here on Weight Watchers or no Weight Watchers? So how many of y'all know that it's really hard to cream your coffee on Weight Watchers? So I love vanilla frou-frou creamer. That's what we call it. Full. I don't want it fat-free. I don't want it sugar-free. Nothing. That's my favorite, and I'll pour in a lot, and it's light and creamy. So the other day I was making my coffee, and it looked like my yummy, light, creamy, vanilla creamer coffee. It looked amazing, but it was pathetic and pitiful and worthless because what it really was was a little thing of stevia and some regular coffee mate and some drips of some weird vanilla concoction thing that was supposed to make it taste like vanilla coffee. So it was, it may have looked like it had it all together, but I couldn't even finish drinking it. It really was worthless. So that's my illustration for this one. <laughs> and this morning I had normal creamer. I'm just saying. I'm not even going to count it in my points. Because <laughs> I made gold. No. Okay. The Laodiceans felt like they were secure in their spiritual attainment. They, they just thought they were good. But Jesus didn't see them as rich. He's like, buy from me gold. Buy my gold that's been purified, and then you'll be rich. He was calling them to more than just existing right? And living their nice life. He was calling them to step out and start making a difference in the lives around them. He was raising a standard. You guys have heard that term. You need to raise your standards or whatever, okay? A standard is a banner or a flag or an emblem that gets put at the top of a pole that's raised up during a rallying point, often in battle. It'll be raised up in a battle, the standard bearer is the person that carries this pole. And the banner is held up high. You can see some of these other banners. Those are all military units. And the banner is held up high so the military unit knows, there's my unit leader. There's where I need to be. It would show them where to come together. They could also look up the hill where, where there was war happening, and they could see where their standard was. And they would go, that's where we need to be. That's how far we've pushed in. So let's go there. That's how, that's how much ground we've taken. So they know where the front of the line is and where they need to go. Jesus was raising a standard for the church. Like, come up, come on, come up here. Come rally where I am. Um, and he's still doing it today. And that's what this group is going to be partly about. He's calling us as women to join him at a higher level of the battlefield. And that's going to mean something different for all of us. But he's calling us to step out and go, okay, I'm going to go to where I see the standard being risen. He says, buy white garments, and these symbolized righteousness. They were being called to act in line with God's moral law, to walk in righteousness. Um, in God's sight, they were walking around spiritually naked, uh, not understanding their humiliation and needing these white robes of righteousness. So God looks at the heart, right? So you can have your Chanel and your Marc Jacobs and have your Louis Vuitton bag and look all put together, but still be spiritually naked. God's like, I don't care about your $400 bag. How are you doing? How's your spirit? How's your heart? You know? 
Jesus also says they should buy from him eye salve. So Laodicea, as I said, was known for its medical school and it had two uh, different ointments. One was this sort of putty for the eyes. It was a doughy paste that was medicating to the eyes. So he was pointing out their spiritual blindness. They had no idea what state they were in. They had just moved on. They didn't even really consider their spiritual state. They needed their spiritual eyes restored. In verse 19, he says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. The Laodiceans are told to repent, and they're being reproved due to their spiritual blindness and complacency. Has anyone else ever felt, you know what I'm talking about when you say you feel like you've been rebuked or reproved by the Holy Spirit or by the Lord? And if you don't know, that's something you're going to want to pray about because that's what he does. He, if you, he, he comes and he says, for me it usually sounds like this, Kim, cut it out. That's, what he, that's the spiritual term. He's like, Kim, cut it out. A rebuke or reproof from the Lord or from the Holy Spirit just is that conviction that comes alongside and says, hey, no, that, we're not going to do that today. Don't do that. You know, you've got to stop that. And sometimes it's a little harsher. Um, he called me a hypocrite once. You are a hypocrite. And I was like... Okay, awesome. So this was years ago. I was reading the scriptures about years before I started my first ministry here, 11 years ago. Um, I was reading the scriptures about the Pharisees who put burdens on everyone but don't lift a finger, right? And they're called hypocrites. And God's like, you're a hypocrite. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? And he's like, you're going to start a ministry and tell people to be transparent and you've been secretly smoking for 10 years. I'm like, I guess I am a hypocrite. So anyway, that's what a rebuke or a reproof looks like. <laughs> Anyhow, that's not in my notes, but you know. <clears throat> sometimes the love of God is shown to us in discipline because he loves us. Because sometimes his discipline moves us to repentance and to freedom. Sometimes his kindness will lead us to a little bit of a rebuke before it leads us to repentance. Did you know that kids actually crave and want boundaries and discipline by their parents? They actually want that. When I was in junior high, someone came and spoke to all the junior hires, and they said, the kids whose parents didn't give them curfews and didn't give them boundaries so desperately wished that they did because they saw their other friends' parents as caring. They cared how late they were. They, cared, they would discipline them if they, did, if they got into a dangerous situation. They wished that their parents did because it showed them that they loved them, and our Father is a loving God. And so he will reprove and rebuke and set out boundaries and discipline us to, because he loves us, out of his love for us. And I think, therefore, be zealous and repent, tells us he longs for us to get serious about sin, repent of it quickly, so then maybe he cannot discipline us, right? Then he won't have to. He's like, get your spiritual eyes fixed, get some LASIK, whatever, get those healed up, look at your life, and if you see darkness or something that doesn't line up with how it should be, repent confess, get rid of it, and move on. Be zealous about that. Verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him, and he with me. This verse has forever been seen as the verse to explain how Jesus stands outside the door of the sinner's heart. Look how glowy he is. He's like lit up from within, and he probably really is, but that he's standing outside the door of the sinner's heart. This was said every Sunday when I grew up in church, and I raised my hand every Sunday as a kid. 
just, I don't know if I just wanted his attention, like his, for the pastor to go, I see that hand, because I'm like an attention hog, or if I really wanted, needed to be saved every week, but he would use this verse, and I would raise my hand, and I'd see that hand, and I'm like, I'm saved again, this week, you know, this is when I was, when I was little. Um, now, Jesus does do that, and if you're here this morning, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, or you're not sure where you stand with Jesus, he is standing at your heart and saying, please let me come in. I want to have a relationship with you. I will come in and be with you. That is all true. However, that's not what this text is actually talking about in context, when you look at the full context. Jesus is talking to the church. Hello, can you let me in? You know? And I think Andy Manson once pointed out, there's no handle on the outside. He can't just open the door and barge in, you know, in this artist's rendering. He's like knocking on the door. He's asking the body of Christ to let him in. They've become too successful for their own good. They're preoccupied. They're thinking about other stuff, you know, and it doesn't even have to be wealth. It can be thinking about anything. I've got four soccer games and three theater rehearsals and this and this going on this week, and I'm just preoccupied with all this life, right, that I'm not letting Christ into my day. Um, they're self-sufficient, they're forgetting him, forgotten their identity and their need for him. And I found this quote that I thought was so good. In their blind self-sufficiency they had, in their blind self-sufficiency, they had, as it were, excommunicated the risen Lord from their congregation. I don't recommend that. That's a bad idea. In an act of unbelievable condescension, he requests permission to enter and reestablish fellowship. That's what this text is about. It's about Jesus saying, hey, church, can I come back in? I'd really love to be in fellowship with you guys. Jesus was raising the standard for them. And I believe that we as women, all of us ladies in here, are being raised up for such a time as this. I fully believe that God is doing something in women across the board for the church. I just see him stirring women up. I see him calling them out. I see him raising them up. I see him pulling out giftings and raising up leaders. I just, he's doing something in women. There is a revival coming and women are going to be a part of it. Has anyone else felt this like stirring, like God is doing something in their, Heather's like, oh, God's doing something in his daughters and he is equipping us and raising us up and giving us weapons and sending us out. And promotion comes from the Lord, by the way. If you feel like I'm a woman and I don't know how I'm going to get out there, promotion comes from the Lord. He will put you where you're supposed to be, right? And I just read this text the other day. Jesus is like, I don't glorify myself. The Father, if I glorify myself, it would mean nothing. The Father glorifies me. So God will place you where you need to be and what, to fulfill what he's put in your heart. He's raising a standard and calling all women to himself to step up and to step out. And that's kind of, I feel like, it's going to be the motto of this group. He's calling us to step up and to step out. He wants us to make a difference in our families, in our neighborhood, in our workplace. He doesn't want us to be these complacent navel gazers, always just learning more scripture or learning more, you know, doing a lot of stuff for ourselves, which is great, without seeing out be, beyond ourselves. Complacence, complacency makes us blind and poor and un, unable to uh, offer anything useful to those around us, um, just like the lukewarm water. But following our standard bearer up the hill requires sacrifice, requires boldness, and a willingness to sometimes step out of our comfort zone. So here's what I want to do. I want to brainstorm together. I'm going to bring up this little thing. 
and I'm going to set my timer and we're just going to take a few minutes and brainstorm on, did I leave my pen? I left my pen, oh thank you, on two things and I want you to just call them out and I'll give you an idea. I want us to talk about, this is where we're going to apply it in our lives, okay? I want us to brainstorm ways that we can be healing or refreshing. And we'll start with healing, and I'll give you a start. Like, when I think of healing, I think of salve or a bandage on a wound. So think about something that you can do in the next week or two that can bring healing to someone in your life or healing to someone that's not in your life, but you know you can bring healing. I'm going to put my first thing down that I put in my little list. You can give someone a hug. It's that simple. You can bring healing to someone's heart with a hug. So let's think of some ideas that, that you think this would be a way that you can show healing to someone. And you can just yell it out or lift up your hand or whatever. Yes. What? Just a smile. You guys, that is true, right? Someone has having a hard day and you give them a smile. A phone call. Yes, pray for them. Yes. Honestly, and the people in the world, they will always say yes. Your coworkers, they will always say yes. Yes, apologize. And maybe ask forgiveness. Right? Oh, say thank you. That's good. Say thank you. And what was the one? Yes, us to a stranger even. There's, you can see a woman in Target and go, you have the most beautiful eyes. You've just, there's an insecure part in every woman and you've just brought some healing to that. That can also be in refreshing. A lot of these can go. Yes, yes. She said, visit a shut-in. Someone that just can't get out right now. Go see them, bring them flowers, do something kind for them, okay? So all of these things, we'll, we'll stop here. These are just some. Hug someone, smile at them, call someone that needs it, pray for them, apologize, ask for forgiveness, say thank you, a kind word, visit someone that is home that's sick or that for whatever reason isn't making it out of the house. And then there's things like refreshing, like water on a hot day, things that make you feel refreshed. So I have... Um, my first one is send a card. Just a card that says, thinking of you, I hope you're doing well, I love our friendship. How many of you love to get mail? But then we never send mail, but it's super fun to get mail. <laughs> so do that. My mom, my mom passed away uh, just over a year ago. She was in my dream last night. I totally got to hug her. I love when she shows up. I mean, I don't believe my mom is in my dreams because I don't think that's biblical, but I believe that we can have dreams that the Lord totally is there and we get to see those people in our dreams. Not really her. You guys get that I'm saying that, right? She's in heaven. I don't need her down here. But I hugged her. Whenever she's in my dreams like that, I realize that I need to hug her and I hug her. I feel her little rolls. <laughs> I gave her a hug. But my mom was a card sender. She had a whole box full of cards that she would pull out a card for anything that was going on. So send a card. So what else can we do that can refresh someone that may be weary or whatever? Flowers. Is that what you said? 
I have a friend whose dad traveled to India and got some, sep some sepsis or some sort of really bad illness in ICU. And I was thinking, how could I be refreshing like this for myself? Because I'm going to challenge all you guys. And I'm like, I'm going to drop off some flowers at her house just to be like, hey, I'm praying for you and just to brighten up her day. What else can be refreshing? Yes. 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 Okay. So I'm just going to write Starbucks here, but let me tell you something. I love that. I will take a $20 bill and get four or $5 Starbucks cards and just hand them out to people at Target. And it's always awesome. I had one lady almost cry. I watched one lady in line at Starbucks picking out the last of her change. And I said, I, I want to buy you a coffee. And she was like, you just made my whole year. It was $5. So I love that. Those random acts to strangers. Whether you say, God bless you, or John 3.16. I mean, you don't have to. Just refresh them. Just refresh them. Because God, God loves, repent. No. <laughs> if you receive the Lord, I've got a gift card for you. You know, no. Just that is excellent. So that's refreshing, right? What else? Meal for a caregiver. Boy, caregivers are tired. My dad took care of my mom. She had Alzheimer's for a couple years, and then we would help near the end, and it's exhausting. So we always think about the person that's going through it, but what about the caregiver? That's excellent. Meal for a caregiver, or a card, or a phone call, anything for a caregiver. A compliment that's in my list. Did you look at my notes? <laughs> yes, this giving someone a compliment. Giving someone your time. Time. And what was the other one? Kind word to someone homeless. Ooh. Kind word to someone homeless instead of just crossing to the other side of the street and giving time. can be very refreshing for someone. Be kind in traffic when someone needs to be get over. Just slow down and let them over. How much is that going to bless that person? Some of the things I wrote down for refreshing, send a card to someone, encourage them, notice them, give a big tip. Like a ridiculous tip. Like you buy something at, you know, whatever restaurant and it's a $12 bill, give them a $20 tip. But don't, don't sit there and be like, God bless you, you know. Write it out and leave. But how amazing for that server to get a big tip. How awesome would that be, right? Um, compliment, call out giftings. Married ladies, you can refresh your husband, right? Bless your husband and be a refreshing uh, just refresh him, I'm saying. <laughs> Instead of saying, kids, go play, go play with your kids, because that refreshes them to have their mama with them, playing with them, even though you don't want to play that again. Oh my gosh, I can tell you about every train your dragon, how to train your dragon dragon, what class they're in, what their stuff is, and what, how you catch them, I know all that. And for healing, hug, send a card, offer time, coffee, pray for them, listen to them, forgive them. 
If you're holding something against them and that you, you want to bring healing to that person, forgive them. Introduce them to Jesus. Ask for forgiveness. So here are some ways that we can be healing and refreshing. Okay? So here's what we're going to do. I, I want this group, like I said, to be a community. I want us to be a life group. I want us to be interacting with each other, not just once a month. So, oh, can we go back to the other page? So that, this one. So I've created a Facebook page. I personally, Kim Rogers, got off of Facebook like six years ago because I was addicted and I was on it on my phone and my kids would be like, mom, mom, mom. So I just took it off. So I haven't been on Facebook forever. But now I have a Facebook page and it's B&B with an ampersand with Kim Rogers. I had to write Kim Rogers because you wouldn't believe how many B&Bs there are on Facebook. If you look for this, you will find the page. Like it and that will make you part of this community. And I want us to be talking about this stuff. Comment on it, post a picture on it, discuss it, reply to somebody else's, get, be a part of this community, okay? And then I'm gonna be putting challenges up there throughout, in between our times of meeting. So there's already a challenge up there now, so you gotta go find it. Um, and take that challenge and then take a picture and hashtag it CFBNB. If you're on Instagram, hashtag it. Let's begin to see and be encouraged how this is how I brought refreshing to someone, or this is how I brought healing to someone, or this, is, this, this was so great to do this, or whatever. And then you can look at that hashtag, CFBNB, and over time, we're gonna have this huge community of seeing all of us interacting and doing things and be, just reaching out of ourselves, because it's usually gonna involve impacting someone else, these challenges, okay? Or it could just be you guys going to coffee and talking about it. So we're gonna hashtag CFBNB, go to this page, like it, and we're all gonna do this together. I want us to be talking about it and sharing it, encouraging someone with it, etc. Oh, I, I wrote my challenge here, but I don't know if I should tell you guys. You should go to the page. I'll tell you. The challenge this week, Spend some time refreshing someone you know that really needs it. Like I'm gonna go buy flowers for this friend and bring them there. That's, I'm gonna bring refreshing to her. So think outside yourself and refresh someone and then write it on the page. I went and did this or, and let's all share and encourage each other. It's this simple as doing these things. And then you can post a pic or whatever. But, and I, I'm, I'm not a huge social media fan, but I believe that what the devil has used to create a lot of um, competition and depression and insecurities that we can take back and use it to build a community here and be encouraging each other and having fun saying, let's look, we brought refreshing to all these people. We brought healing to all these people. And each time we're going to do that. And I think it's going to be awesome. And get plugged in if you can to this community because it's going to be something that keeps us all connected until we meet again next month. So I have, we have some discussion questions, and you guys can just take these and talk about them at your table. Um, our next meeting is September 19th. No, March, March. March. <laughs> September! Oh my gosh! Where did I, that's prophetic. We're gonna have a meeting on September 19th. Mark it in your calendars. <laughs> March, no, I need to be refreshed apparently. March 19th is our next meeting. I'm actually gonna be talking about the word perfect in scripture, which is the Greek word teleos, which once you understand this word, it changes the way every scripture reads perfect for you. So it's, it's an awesome study. It's one of my favorite words to study. So um, 
come back and get that and invite your friends, whoever wants to come, Cornerstone or not. Uh, all women are welcome here. So uh, enjoy talking about these questions. There's two. There'll be one here, and then there's going to be one right after that. And you can get more coffee or whatever. Please feel free. It's a life group, after all.